Bank of America Practice Solutions is leading the way into 2021. From the award-winning digital banking application and platform to the business-focused lending and cash flow savings promotions, they are a proud sponsor of the South Florida District Dental Association and happy to provide their skills and services to the dental industry. They focus on first-time practice startups and acquisitions, established practice remodels, expansion, debt refinances, even commercial real estate. Visit Bank of America Practice Solutions to see which program is right for you. Dental Broker of Florida is supporting the dental industry in the post-pandemic situation, offering many tools on their website for your convenience. They also have their customary services available, including portfolio of dental offices for sale, practice assessment of value, and help in finding associates and staff for your practice. Visit DentalBrokerFlorida.com for more detail. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ain't That the Tooth, a podcast by the South Florida District Dental Association, where we take you into the lives of our members in and out of dentistry. I am your host, Yolanda Marrero, and today's topic deals with the love of music. Joining me is oral surgeon, Dr. Richard Muffson, musician and composer, Dr. Michael Reagan, who has more than 25 years as a defense trial attorney and is also a dentist, and in fact, he is currently adjunct professor in the Department of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery at Nova Southeastern University. And they are joined today by Mark Hart, Executive and Artistic Director of the Community Arts Program, which features, among many things, the Summer Concert Series and the CAP Conservatory for the Arts. Thank you for being here with me today. I've always been pleasantly pleased when I find out that our SFTDA members have interests outside of dentistry and when it involves music, it's just it's mind-blowing. I love it. So in addition to enjoying music, we're with people that enjoy performing, producing, and supporting musicians. And I know a lot about that in terms of support because I spent many years in the world of music at WTMI, which was South Florida's only classical music station then and, and even now. And in full disclosure, that's how I met Mark Hart, who is here with us today. <laughs> so I'm super happy to have you here. And with that, I'm going to yield the floor to whoever wants to tell me how music affected their lives and why they love it so much today. <laughs> As we all point this to each other. <laughs> As we all point to each other. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I mean, from uh, elementary school days, somehow I ended up with a trumpet in my hand. I don't know if that's been out there, but in fifth grade band, I played trumpet uh, in the elementary school band. And the kid sitting next to me was actually a kid named Steve Dorsey, who was Tommy Dorsey's son. But I didn't even know back then who Tommy Dorsey was because our band director said, hey, how's your dad doing? You know, I had no clue. And then, <laughs> then I ended up playing trombone only because they needed trombones in my junior high school and this... Our band director taught me trombone because they needed trombones, and I gave up trumpet. But that's how I started. So, and piano lessons in fourth and fifth grade, and from then it was just like a part of part of my life. Like I'm, I'm much like you guys, I'm sure, sitting here. 
But uh, Michael said you were a music major in college. I never knew that. <laughs> yes, I was. Actually, I started out like you as a trumpet player many, many, many years ago. And uh, I decided to go uh, grow up in Syracuse, New York, and well, entered Syracuse University as a performance major, as actually a classical, legit trumpet player. I was going to be a you know, classical trumpet player. And I did that for about two, two and a half years. And I began to realize about two and a half years into it that I realized that I was no longer a prodigy by any means. All of a sudden, I was now 20 and there were all these 18-year-old kids who were phenomenally good at the instruments. And I thought, well, I didn't – I probably need to have – how shall I say? A day gig, I guess would be the situation. And uh, as it happened, I looked around at different things and I had always been – I was one of the few music majors who actually took as, you know, um, the other courses aside from music courses. You know, people would take things like – Harmony and solfege, and I would take as my other extra course biology, okay, or chemistry, which put me in a sort of a statistical outlier, if you will. <laughs> and uh, I applied to dental school and got into the University of Pennsylvania. And I was really actually very fortunate because um, um, I was able to do a lot of actually um, putting a lot of myself through school, actually playing in, in Philly, playing with the Pennsylvania or the Philadelphia Brass Quintet, and mm. played with the Pennsylvania Ballet Orchestra, which was a lot of fun. And um, and it was more as I got involved in that that I sort of began to evolve more into jazz, whatever that means. I'm not by no means a jazz player. I'm you know, I'm more of a fairly good reader of music, that's all, but I'm not an improvisator. But and so it's sort of evolved into this situation where we've, you know, live in a great town, Miami, which has a, a great music scene, actually a more burgeoning music scene all the time. You know, some of the things that you mentioned before, you know, with the advent of, you know, Shelley Berg and Frost and the whole new music school down there and bringing all of that and having the, the jazz programs at the Art Center. It's mm -hmm. all great. Great but stuff. I, I'll be yeah. quiet now, and I'd love to hear Mark. I mean, because I, I think all of our lives have sort of almost intertwined without us even knowing each other. Yeah, I think so. I've I've seen Michael at a number of concerts with the Community Arts Program in the Summer right. Concert Series, and I I came into music as a young kid, actually through my grandmother, who was this great piano player, and so I used to sit and listen to her play the piano. I said, you know, Grammy, I really want to do that. So she said, okay, but you know, I was about four. She says, one year, just a little older. So by the time I was six or so, she got me involved in piano lessons and then she got me involved in singing. So, um, which really went over well with my peers. I got to tell you, oh, there's Mark singing. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, so then I just really, you know, there's something about as, as, as you both know, there's something about music and just how it reaches deep down inside of all of us and, and provides that, that, something to the soul. I think that everyone really, really grabs a hold of. And so from there, I, I studied music as a young kid and went to college and studied classical voice and piano and uh, did a lot of performing in the Washington, D.C. area and then moved to South Florida to be part of WTMI. And I um, did quite a bit of performing throughout here. And then I became involved with the community arts program and got involved with producing and the education of music and bringing a lot of kids into the education area of learning music. Mm -hmm. And particularly then with developing the Miami Jazz Institute, the area of jazz, which mm -hmm. is such an intriguing, from someone who came through the classical field, something just very intriguing and really uh, interesting how, you know, the skill and the understanding and the all the theory and uh, practice that goes behind all of that. So it all has been a, just a very intriguing journey for me. And I'm just interested to hear how you guys have incorporated that into your life and what that brings into your life and what it adds to it. For me, it's been like two separate lives a little bit. I, I you know, when, when I'm in the office, I'm an oral surgeon, I'm a dentist. And, you know, when I'm outside the office, I kind of like to leave that behind and just be not 
looked upon as Dr. So-and-so. I'd rather be Richard, you know, Richard Muffson. Hey, and I have other interests and whatever. One of them is music. But ever since junior high, high school, and high school days, I, I there were some special things that happened even in high school. Duffy Jackson was playing mm. with us, a, a famous world-class jazz drummer, unfortunately just passed away, unfortunately. But, you know, he was in my high school jazz band and we had some people come in and play music. Ira Sullivan came in one time and did a clinic and on trumpet, legendary guy. He unfortunately just passed away recently, but he just blew everybody away in the room with night in Tunisia mm. version or we, he was teaching the big band some things, how to play the song. And, and in those days, just going around Miami and hearing great music, Ira Sullivan, Duffy playing around town, Mike Gerber, one of my favorite piano players, uh, all the, who we saw one time that mm -hmm. evening. Just legendary music scene, which has actually only improved in the last bunch of years with, with people like Shelley Berg and others that have come into town and just, so it's a, it's a part of my life that's totally separate from my day job, you know, but it's just two different lives. Uh, but it becomes part of you and you look, and we've, Dr. Reagan, or can I call you Michael on this podcast? Please call me Richard. Please I'm not Dr. Mike, you know, <laughs> uh, we've, we've shared a number of musical venues and concerts together and interests back way back when we met at Georgetown Dental School. Uh, even so, going to Charlie's Place. Charlie's Place, sure. Blues Alley. Blues we Alley. saw Buddy Rich there. We saw some great <laughs> concerts. So, you know, it's just a part of our lives that we can uh, share with interest at how great it is. You know. <laughs> and you know, sadly now, Blues Alley is apparently closing. Mm -hmm. Right. I heard and that. that mm -hmm. That's a shame. Well, Charlie's also, no? Didn't that place close too? It closed, yeah, underneath yeah. the Wipers Freeway. Right, on K Street, yeah. right below the, uh, on the river. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you mentioned about that. You know, kind of the, the um, you know, my evolution was, since I was trained, you know, as a classical trumpet player, um, I was really not schooled in jazz. I, I loved to listen to jazz. I I thought I understood it, uh, but I was never someone who could improvise for whatever reason. And, uh, and I'm kind of interested in that whole, in, in the creative state, how people do that. Because, you know, we both know there are people who seem to be born with that ability to do that. People right, who don't right. even learn about the harmonic systems and things like that, who somehow just can develop into wonderful uh, Im improvisers. And that just blows me away. Yeah, no, no. And I, really I'd love does. to know what it is because I'd yeah, love to have a right. piece of that. Yes. You know? Yeah. But, you know, the, the thing was, is that um, as I began to, well, you know, evolve away from um, classical type music to, to jazz, where I was utilized mostly was in big band music because that allowed me as a person who could play in tune and play and read the music and things such as that. And I was the person in the trumpet section who would listen to other people improvise solos. And that was great. But it's only been recently where I began to really understand that the concept of jazz, and specifically jazz improvisation, really is its own language. And where I've really seen that is, fortunately, in the last, I guess, maybe eight years now. Okay, mm. um, In the last eight years, uh, I've been, well, pre-pandemic, uh, I've been doing a lot of traveling to Europe and a lot of traveling specifically to Barcelona, which Richard knows about this. And I found, by accident, Deborah and I were actually um, in, in Barcelona in 2013, I think it was literally April 15th or 16th, 2013. And we happened to be going to this place called Plaza Real, which is the main plaza where they have there. And went to sit down and have lunch one uh, day, a Saturday or Sunday. And there was this great little group of young kids, big band, okay? But they were setting up on a stage up there. And I looked at them and these, literally the instruments, the trumpets, the trombones were bigger than they were. The trumpets were the size of things. And I thought, isn't this cute? Mm -hmm. I'm sure that this 
cute little band of people who are 8, 9, 10, maybe 15, maybe 16 years old, I'm sure they're going to play some stock stage band arrangements and people will clap and the parents will think really great about that. Like, as they're, going play, all, they're going to play along with Abersold and won't that be nice? Exactly. You know, and, and their parents will, will applaud the same way that our poor parents play, applauded when we were 10 years old and they had the bear with that horrible, you know, cacophony, right? And the thing was, all of a sudden, you know, when Endeavor and I were sitting there, we were sitting down at lunch and they started to play and we, my guy said, Oh, they must be playing a record. Okay. These kids are just pushing the instrument things around. And I went, I went up different uh, up to the thing and, and um, found out that these kids really were playing the instruments. Well, I've since found out and I've gotten very involved in it. The person who runs the program is a guy named John Chamorro, who runs a jazz program for kids from the ages of six to 18, uh, in Barcelona. I have the theta, Barcelona. Yeah. Um, and has established a significant amount. I mean, it literally is a farm team for amazing European jazz musicians that come from a very, very, you're not necessarily poor, but it's a, you know, a middle class or lower middle class uh, neighborhood in Barcelona. And he's really developed these things. And I've, I've sent, you know, many of the, the videotapes. I'll send them to you as Mark and to you as well, Yoli. And he's just taken these people. And what he's done is he's developed these students from a very early age to not only are they good performers on their instruments, whether it be bass or, you know, sax or trumpet, but most all of them, um, play multiple instruments. So they double and triple an instrument. So someone who plays trumpet then will play alto sax and then sing, you know. And I look at that and I realize I could barely play the trumpet, much less if you, you know, handed me a reed instrument, that would have been the end of me. I could never have done that. Anyway, so um, I began to go back and, and I got to know Juan. I've been to his house and watched the rehearsals and then we got involved and I, I actually um, um, was one of the producers of a documentary on a woman who's become sort of an international jazz star named Andrea Motis, who is mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. what, 26 now. And I guess when I first saw her, she was 18. And she's, I mean, a wonderful vocalist and trumpet player and saxophone player internationally has done things. But so I'll stop the diatribe. The issue, what I realized is that I've been able to interact with many of these students. I don't speak Catalan. I speak very little Spanish, okay? And um, But we've been able to interact in purely and simply through the if you will, the, the the dialogue of music, where you know probably we we couldn't have a conversation about you know going up and down Dixie Highway or something like that, we wouldn't have understood each other. But the fact that you know I can understand them through their improvisation, I can sit with them and talk with them, and we have at least something in, in common. It's really kind of amazing. The universal language. It really yes. is. That's, that's why they call it that. So, yes. Yeah. And I right. didn't realize that until I was. In my 60s. Yeah, you know, one of the things that intrigues me of what you said is that, you know, hearing young kids play this play this music, and I know that when I hear it, someone said something to me once when they heard a, 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 a band of young jazz kids playing in this, in this big band, and they said, my gosh, you know, these kids have old souls. <laughs> this is something, these are young kids with old souls, and that is something, it's, that's so true. But I'd be interested to know, like, for instance, you, Richard, what, what do you think of when you play jazz and what appeals to you about the playing process and the performing process of, of doing jazz? Well, one thing I think about as I'm playing piano, I think to myself, gosh, I'm really not quite as good as Joey Alexander <laughs> mm. at age 11. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> talk, talk about Well, people. who is, really? <laughs> talk about people who have, you see this 12-year-old. That's the thing that blows me away when you mention how does this person have so much experience and soul? It's like he grew up with John Coltrane or something. When you hear him play, I'm always amazed by the, the some of the youth in this world, how they be these prodigies out there that just blow you away. Um, even watching the documentary on Blue Note Records, 
Right. It was called Beyond the Notes. You had a lot of the older cats that, you know, that were in that documentary telling you Herbie Hancock and all these others. But then they had a bunch of younger guys that were just phenomenal, phenomenal musicians. So, you know, kidding aside, yeah, what do I think about when I play? Yeah, it's fun. It's great. I love music. I've done everything from small jazz groups. And I even, like a masochistic thing I did was starting a big band like we, we, for about three years in a row that actually Michael was part of and helped right, us out great. playing in the trumpet section sometimes. And then I realized how it, that was harder than oral surgery. It was really hard <laughs> yes. to get 17 people together trying to, or yeah. putting all these charts in sure. books, but it was, it yeah. was really the thrill, kind of a, a great thrill. So, um, it's been stuff besides piano too, but yeah. Just a lot of good musical experiences. And yeah. you did a great job with the band, and you're right. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but especially for that, you're going to go to heaven because that was... Um, <laughs> I mean, no, you no, know, he's going to go to heaven because that's... he even put together a few trios for our women's events uh, <laughs> several years, in fact. So we appreciate that a lot. Well, yeah, especially if it was a woman's event, you know that I would I would definitely come up with <laughs> write the correct you know mu- musical act to help that. For so, years, uh, Richard was the yeah. only male allowed into the event. Oh, is that right? Oh, which even made a better right. Oh. <laughs> it was, he was allowed to go. You had all these women <laughs> captive. Two <It> was... <laughs> other musicians and then, and the rest of us were all there yeah. enjoying it. So. Yeah. And what was the name of your big band? Uh, well, we at the time, I mean, we had a couple of tentative names, but it really was it's not like we went out and played gigs and we needed a name. So we, we didn't really have a name. We just got together every couple of weeks on a Tuesday evening in um, my neighbor, Bud had a, has a man cave. He called it. <laughs> it was great for a rehearsal. People used to come and it's, it, it was in the little river district of, uh, has a, uh, so we used to just meet and play, play charts, uh, count Basie, buddy, rich charts, Woody Herman stuff. Um, and it was it was fun. It I was would fun. have loved to have been a fly yeah. on that wall. Mm. Yeah, and well, it, it was. Mm. I would say it was the nicest yeah. man cave that I've ever seen. Okay, I mean, and, and I'm not. Well, I mean, I don't have a man cave myself, yeah. sadly. But this had literally. I mean, it was. I mean, I guess you'd have to say what there was Y chromosome written all over this place. <laughs> yes, right? there was. Yes. There was a place a place for billiards, right? Wasn't there? And there <laughs> was pinball machines, pinball ball. machines, oh, and ski balls. Yeah. There were tons of musical instruments, and I have to give a shout out. Cars. Yeah. A shout out, I have to, even though he's probably not going to be listening to this anytime soon, my neighbor, Bud Scholl, who's also happens to be mayor of Sunny Isles Beach, by the way, but he has this man cave and it was, it was for him to get away from family, even though his family goes there a lot, but, um, he's there quite a bit, but he graciously let, let us use his man cave. And he also played guitar right. in, the, in the, um, jazz band too, when he was in town, cause he was frequently out of town. No, it's great fun. Thanks that. to Bud mm-hmm. for that, for the man cave. Yeah. It, <laughs> wow. Everything. <clears throat> We've got a bunch of people out there needing a man cave now. <laughs> Pretty much. But, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that concerns me a lot of the times uh, with young kids coming up in jazz is that you've got these young kids with these old souls that can just intuitively do a lot of this stuff. And then you say, okay, now we need to teach you the mechanics behind what it is that you do. And you often wonder, is teaching the mechanics going to hinder what they intuitively do? And... um so that that's always kind of like the thing I always think about when you're teaching kids that can really just know how to do these things. And there were a lot of great jazz musicians that never really formally studied right. the mechanics behind jazz. Yeah, mm-hmm. I thought about that too, especially when uh, Dr. Reagan mentioned that, you know, you are fascinated by the fact that people can improvise. Yeah. But if you're trained, you're, you kind of have boxed yourself in. At least that's my impression. So maybe that could be why... Prodigies stand out because they're, they haven't been boxed in yet. You know, they have a freedom. Yeah, I guess. 
I mean, that's until I tell you, you mentioned before about, you know, the Jamie Abersold, you know, books and playing along mm-hmm. with them, which is sure. a great way for people to, right. to learn how to improvise. You know, and for whatever reason, I actually tried that and it just never took with me for whatever reason. I just, you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated by what is the creative impulse. I'm sadly not one of those people who can sit here at a table with a blank piece of paper and then end up with a poem on it. Okay. I just, you know, I can do legal briefs, but that's just basically what reading something else, masticating what they say and then putting it in somebody else's issue. Well, maybe, but how many poets can't do that? Um, well, only the poets who've been sued. Okay. Um, but you know, or the same thing would be, you know, taking a piece of paper, would I be able to, you know, uh, either write a sonnet or, or write music like you've written music. I just, you know, I don't have whatever that DNA in there. And, you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm really fascinated about is, you know, what part of the brain uh, deals with that? I actually went, um, actually in DC a couple of years ago, um, they haven't had it in a couple of years, but uh, Renee Fleming mm. and um, I can't think of the guy Frank Frank Collins, who's the head of um, is it NIH. Um, I think it's NIH. That could be the, the name, yeah. And they they had a thing at the at the um, um, Kennedy Center called Music in the Mind. Mm. Okay, and it was a tremendous performance where they had Renee Fleming was there. It was uh, they had the former drummer with um, can't think of his name um, with uh, Grateful Dead. Not being a deadhead, I wouldn't know no, that. I'm, I'm not a deadhead. I'm not on, but anyway, was yeah. like, but anyway, the whole issue there was they had a whole series of scientists, and then people who were also uh, musicians and and people who could improvise, and the whole concept was trying to determine out what parts of the brain cause the ability to improvise. And one of the things they did was they took uh, this young um, um, pianist. I don't know if you heard of him. His name is Matthew Whitaker, and mm-hmm. he's they've done a special on him on, on uh, uh, what do you call it, the sixty minutes, and he's sadly he's uh, sightless. But he's one of these phenomenal, I mean, just amazing, you know, musician uh, that can do everything. Just, you know, he lives in a world of sound. And what they actually did with him was, and it was some, one of the most amazing videos I've seen, is they took him and put him in a, uh, I think it was a, I think it was an MRI. I don't think it was a PET scan. Okay. Mm-hmm. I should know more about that. But um, I think it was an MRI because the issue was they wanted him to improvise on a, on a keyboard. But because of an MRI, they could have no metal in it. So it was a keyboard that had to be all plastic because, mm-hmm. the, you know, an MRI would have torn it apart. Mm-hmm. And they showed the parts of his brain that uh, that uh, lit up uh, during the course of improvisation. And there's actually a guy who's an, an ENT, an oligologist, actually, at the University of California in San Francisco named Dr. Lim, who is actually doing some work, who is a musician, but also an ENT person who's doing work on that. And I'll send you some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very interesting stuff. But once again, I don't possess any of it. Well, you know, science is a music. I mean, music is a science. Dentistry yeah. is a science. And 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 uh, you know, I asked this question knowing nothing about dentistry, obviously. But are there any what 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 bridges are there between the art of dentistry and the art of music? Is there anything that in the thought process and the uh, and the intuitive intuitive process? Is there is there anything? I I'd be telling you less than something truthful if I said there was a bridge. I don't think there is a bridge. I don't think they're related that much. There's an exception, though. I think music, like like you were just saying, there is something mathematical and scientific about the progression of notes and chords, and mm-hmm. and, and it, there is a math to that. And, you know, maybe dentists or physicians by nature were usually good in math and science and things like that. So, maybe there's a connection there with some mathematical thing. But um, I've noticed that even in dentistry, many people are not necessarily music fans necessarily uh they, you know that's maybe an overly broad generalization but uh, i don't know that there's lots of bridges between the two otherwise um but one interesting thing i was going to throw in when you're talking about 
I've noticed that if people are trained, this is just overly general too about music appreciation. I've noticed that if people are brought up reading, reading, like you can sight read, Michael, better than I can. I know that. Sometimes the ear may not be, or the improvisational ear may not be the same as someone who was not brought up as a good sight reader. And there's mixtures of both, I'm sure. But like, again, it's not a big secret. Stevie Wonder has a phenomenal ear because he doesn't have sight or Ray Charles. True. And, um, true. and then, you know, if you have, if you're relying on your sight only, your ear may not be as, 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 as some others might be. And some people are blessed with both. But I, there's two extremes there that I've, I've noticed. I, I think I'm neither good at either. Um, I, I can read okay, and my ear is okay, but they're both kind of moderate, or neither one is that super strong. Um, but sight reading is something that you're probably really good at, Michael, whereas, and I remember that quote by our, our, our common music director at University of Florida, Gary Langford, his famous mm -hmm. quote, you only sight read a piece once, which I'm <laughs> sure that's not super. I'm sure that's <laughs> well, not that, super. That, well, that, that, there's a lot of truth in that. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I also think about the fact that, you know, uh, it, it, when you're classically trained, that you are so ingrained to be able to read, to sight read, to read. And don't you dare go off that written page. Mm -hmm. Read what is there. And I think that's why, you know, so many classical musicians have a hard, cannot improvise at all. They have a hard time just really going through that process because you're trained to to read and to think about what is on that page and really not venture off at any type of early age beyond what is on that page. And so I think that's one of the great things you had mentioned Shelley Berg earlier, yeah. uh, Michael, that's one of the great things that Shelley's doing at the university of Miami is uh, requiring classical, those that study classical mm -hmm. to take these improv classes and to learn about, how, about, that, right. about how jazz grows and how all that forms. And I think that is, I think that is so, so important to be able to, uh, to be able to do that, to develop that skill. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, because, you know, I remember back from, you know, my music school, you know, being, I was being trained to be probably, you know, a, an orchestral trumpet player, which meant that, you know, one of the main things that I was being trained for was to continue to uh, resolve uh, all of the orchestral excerpts, okay? Because you had books of orchestral excerpts, which you learned the segments because you might be called upon the, for that 15 seconds at some point, sometime mm. in your career. And you better play it the same, exactly the same every time. Mm. You know, no vibrato, nothing. It has to be. And that's the whole idea. You're, you're, you're being trained to do something exactly the same every time. And, um, and that's, and that's great. And, and it, it did make it so that I could read fairly well. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, now you mentioned before about is there a connection between music Dentistry, and I concur with Richard. I think that there's almost no connection. Okay? Except we play in our offices. <laughs> well, and, and that's actually, and this, here's a true little factoid, which is actually true. Growing up in, in upstate New York, it turns out that the call letters of the very first white noise or elevator music place, okay, you know, there was a radio station that was put together initially by, and I forget the name of the, the, the where it did this, purely and simply to develop music for elevators and for places, you know, to, to calm you out, music that, that didn't cause any kind of you know, increasing your, of your blood pressure or whatever. And the call letters were WDDS because it was made for dental. <laughs> no offices. kidding. Is that right? Yeah, wow. Did not know that. That's interesting. Another interesting tidbit. I'm, I'm currently sharing an office with another dental specialist and they have typical Muzak playing in the background. I wouldn't say that. It's probably a little bit better than traditional music. But in our, in my operatory, we disconnected the speaker that was in the office. And, and we have, I, I have another, like a little Bose speaker. And 
it's it's background, but you're you're hearing Bill Evans in the background mm. and Coltrane and some sure. other stuff, and mm-hmm. and sometimes uh, there'll be a typical jazz piece that might be a little too hard for a patient to, you know, maybe comprehend. So we'll switch it real quick to to like Michael McDonald or something else. But we have our own little music piped in because we didn't want to go with the uh, rest of the office. I don't even know if the rest of the office is aware of this. But it's just our little secret in our own well, little. They'll know it now. <laughs> <laughs> they'll know it now. Well, kudos to you, and the secret's out. <laughs> but you, both of you, are so tremendously busy. How do you find time for your music, or do you find as much time as you'd like? Yeah, I, I used to. I mean, I mean, I, I haven't recently. You know, part of the problem, of course, is that. Um, you know, as a trumpet player, uh, the whole embouchure and, you know, the whole physiognomy of playing the horn, you know, disintegrates so quickly. You know, I mean, if, you know, sometimes I wish, not that I'm, you know, saying that piano is significantly more difficult in a lot of different ways, but when you do press the, the key down, it does make that note every time and, and all that. You know, so I used to say, you know, and the issue was I played pretty much professionally up until I was 40 years old and I was really lucky. I played with a lot of different organizations and then, by that time, I'd you know completed my law degree and I was getting involved in a second career, and I actually stopped playing the trumpet until I turned to be sixty. And then it took me a long way, like a rehab thing of of getting back and training all those muscles. That was much easier to train when you were ten years old than you were sixty years old. Okay, just that you know, it's like learning a language or something. And uh, one of the things I said when I came back and tried to you know back to playing again was you know I said back in the original days back in you know. Um, 30 or 40 years ago, I used to settle for mediocrity, but now I had to strive for it. <laughs> okay. And that was true. I mean, because wow. it was, a, you know, it was a coming back sure. and playing an instrument realizing, wow, you just really can't do that anymore. Some things you'd have great days or maybe great minutes, maybe. Um, and that, that's, you know, part of the issue. So I don't, you know, now that I really don't play, I played with the Paulie Cohen's band and Richard's band for mm. a while up until about three Paulie years Cohen. ago. But now, mm. um, if you're not playing with someone, there's not a whole lot of reason to keep the embouchure up. And then you just realize, for me now at this point, it's better to just be involved in listening to music. Plus, you know, what I do is a lot of I try to, you know, produce music and produce documentaries about uh, musicians and things like that. Well, you mentioned the name Paulie Cohen. That's another yes. one we lost this past year in February. Right. Yeah. And Michael just did a pretty amazing uh, live stream event uh, paying tribute to Paulie Cohen with two others. Yeah, with Nikki Arda and Wendy Oh, Peterson. sure. Absolutely. Yeah, and we did Miami that. Miami Jazz Cooperative. And it's actually, mm-hmm. actually, I sent that to you yesterday, but I'm, um, it's actually on um, Miami Jazz Co-op. It's on their uh, both Facebook and their YouTube mm-hmm. situation. And how I got involved in that, which is literally by accident, was, wow, eight or nine years ago? Mm-hmm. Might have been eight or nine, maybe almost ten years ago. Um, I got asked by someone, I said, you know, did, by the way, do you know that you have this really famous trumpet player who lives in South Florida? And I really didn't, sadly. Okay. I mean, I knew who Ira was and I knew who a lot of the other great musicians down here. And there are a lot of great musicians down here. But, um, Paulie had retired from, you know, playing in New York for, uh, you know, decades and decades up to Tamarack. And he had this big band that he, every Thursday, he would play at this senior center. Okay. Which was a great situation. And he'd been doing this for, well, 20-some years, because Paulie was born in 1922. So he just passed away, and he would have been this year, what? 90, 99 or 99 something. in October. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're thinking about having a memorial celebration in October once things, you know, all the musicians are there, yeah. and I'll, I'll get it out to people. Good. But anyway, um, uh, this fellow who, was named, who, uh, who goes under the name of the jazz video guy, uh, Brett Premack, he actually contacted me. said, listen, you know, I'm going to be doing a documentary on Paulie. Do you know about him? I said, well... No, and I did a little bit more research, and it turns out he was an incredibly well-known legal, or not legal, but lead trumpet player 
but he wasn't famous like you'd expect to see Doc Severinsen or the other, you know, Miles Davis's or Dizzy Gillespie's and things such as that. But literally, he was the encyclopedia of jazz. He had, you know, I guess, would you say like Zalig? He was someone who had been in each area, you know, all these times. So the interesting thing was um, I got a chance to meet him, well, uh, and got involved with the documentary, which uh, we ultimately released actually and performed or premiered at the Fort Lauderdale International Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And then Paulie asked me, he said, you know, now you're getting back in shape. Why don't you play in my big band, which was an amazing honor. But, you know, Paulie was one of these really, I mean, interesting people. Not only was he born in 1922 and lived to be almost 99, but just being where he was, grew up in Brooklyn, he was very fortunate that um, he was a very good trumpet player who had auditioned for and, and uh, uh, with Juilliard back when they were, before they were, were Juilliard, it's not back when they were in Harlem, because remember that was the original, Juilliard was up in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And he actually auditioned for a scholarship with Juilliard when he was in high school and, and uh, was one of the three or four people who was chosen in um, in New York City metropolitan area to study with William Vacchiano, who was the, the, the principal trumpet player with the New York Philharmonic for 30 or 40 years, one of the top, you know, uh, musicians. And then Paulie, at the age of 18, which was 1940, he decided he had to leave home. So he moved into the Forest Hotel, which was on, what, 49th and 7th. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he moved there was that's where all the big bands would stay. And so if you wanted a job with a big band, you went down to the bar and you stood there. And, and sooner or later, Tommy Dorsey would walk by. Somebody or would Jimmy Dorsey or something <laughs> like this. Sure. And and Paulie was also fortunate in the fact that, um, you know, I think Paulie was, what, five foot three, five foot four. So yes. I don't think he was draft material. <laughs> so, but he was this phenomenally good trumpet player who could play lead and could read perfectly. So all of a sudden, all the big bands wanted him. So Paulie you know, eventually got he, – he played as the only white performer in the Earl Hines band, which was amazing because that, that was a band that had Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie. But um, he also toured with um, Artie Shaw and uh, Tommy Dorsey in Million Years, uh, Benny Goodman. Um, but he he was Count Basie's lead trumpet player oh, for a while, right? Exactly. When he, actually, when he was old, from about nineteen, maybe seventy through seventy six, he was one. Yeah, he was yeah. the lead trumpet player when, oh, when Basie yeah. was still alive. Mm-hmm. And overlapping mm-hmm. with that was my friend from high school, Duffy Jackson, Duffy who Jackson. played with uh, lots of. Mm-hmm. He was uh, overlapped with Paulie on a couple of years of those years, right. playing with Count Basie. And I remember both of those individuals talking about what it was interesting being. One of the few white people ever to be in those bands, exactly. you know, especially Paulie was like a short white Jewish guy. And here he's lead trumpet with Count Basie. It was just unheard of. And Duffy once said, yeah, Rich, it was really kind of weird being an o- an O'Fay, you know, in this band. You know? <laughs> but isn't that an interesting twist? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the few, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, but Michael did some great work with that documentary. I remember seeing it and I, I went to hear that band a bunch of times. I would take off a Thursday morning, from, uh, afternoon, excuse me, from my dental practice just to go hear that band because some phenomenal musicians, as you know, they're all from New York, Broadway, the Union. They moved down here, phenomenal musicians, and they're in this band. And uh, just great to hear them play. Just great band. And the stories because they moved from Local 802, which, of course, is the, the New York uh, Musicians Union. And, you know, as you know, I mean, New York, everybody from New York, right? Moves to Florida, South Florida, because it's the law. We know that, right? <laughs> yeah, certainly. And is. Uh, so the great thing about being in the band was actually breaks were actually as much fun as the music because 
you know, the people sitting in the band, there were people who had been in the Woody Herman band and people who had mm-hmm. played, you know, after Tommy Dorsey died, the one, the lead trombone player used to do Tommy Dorsey's stuff when, uh, with the, the, the ghost band. Right. And, you know, who people who played with Buddy Rich. Well, who was the one sax player who played with Wayne Cochran and the CC Riders? Oh, the, uh, Randy Emmerich. That's right. Yeah. He's the baritone. Yeah. He's the baritone. Yeah. And, and actually he was, um, when, with Wayne Cochran, um, he was actually, actually Jaco Pistorius's roommate when he was in that band. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, wow. uh, and, and he's, that must and he's have been a, something. Uh, and Randy's an amazing player, mm-hmm. amazing player, and um, and great stories as well. So for me, that was just so much fun to listen to their stories because this mm-hmm. was just you know I mean, where they all came from. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. people. Yeah. If also I remember with Paulie Cohn, he had a unique thing too. If something wasn't going right with the band, in with the trombone section messed up, he you would hear some serious four letter words coming out of his mouth and he was he got really kind of angry that was part of his personality but kind of a cute sidebar to who he was but yeah it's great it was a real treat just to go hear them a bunch of times mm-hmm. and, and the kind of the funny thing which I had not even thought about before was when I first got asked to go to the rehearsal it was up in, in a, um, a retirement facility up in, in Tamarack and they you know, it was every Thursday for 20 some years and they would start at 1.30 until 3.30 and there'd be a break for five or 10 minutes for like, you know, coffee cake and coffee and stuff like this. And it was filled. They were, there were times where, because what would happen is not only would retired people from the neighborhood and all this come there, but there were people would become from buses from other retirement homes. Sometimes they were never allowed to dance because they didn't have a license to dance. Okay. So that was an issue. There were a couple of times when the fire department was called because there were so many people who would come there. And, you know, they were concerned because a lot of the people were in walkers and wheelchairs and things like that. But the great thing about the audience was the most receptive audience. Remember, they would all dress up. I oh, bet. I mean, you know, like Thursday. And I bet it was know? the highlight of their. Oh, gosh. And then it started with some other retirement homes where they said, can we get a big band? We'll do rehearsal here because we've got room. You know, and it would be perfect for advice to do this. And we've got that be automatic entertainment for your target audience. These mm-hmm. people remember all these tunes. And, and they were just great. It's a lot of and fun. And then a couple of musicians somehow from that band somehow drifted over and played with our big band right. that we were starting. And I remember Jack Siegel. Jack is great. One yeah. of the mm-hmm. highlights. Uh, I remember this quote that you had that you said, hey, Jack Siegel, was he lives near you. So he was thinking of joining your band, which I think would give the band... Uh, more street cred, you said. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Siegel joined our band, <laughs> and Jack had some great arrangements. And he was a, you know, he's he's he was a local music teacher for many many years and musician in Miami well, area. Played with a lot of big names. Um, he played with a lot of names. Well, I, I'm curious. I'm I'm hearing everything about the past. Others in the past. Oh goodness. The past. Okay. What's the scene like now? What are we looking at? I know that after the pandemic, when we got hit with that, I remember you, Mark. Your series went total um virtual virtual and which i did not miss a single one of those concerts it was fantastic but now that we're we're trying to get back i mean will your summer concert series be up and running um what are we looking at in the entire scene you know like that we can actually go physically and enjoy or what's what's coming up now well i think the hope is that the doors will open and the people will come and Mm -hmm. and and i honestly uh, inside, I, I hope that's the case. However, I, I think it's going to be a slow comeback. I don't think people are going to be ready to rush out um, right away for a number of reasons. Number one is I think some people are going to be reserved about not knowing if it's quite safe enough yet to do that. But secondly, I think there's a lot of COVID habits we're going to have to break through. People <laughs> have gotten used to staying home and tuning into Netflix or 
or yeah. you know all these streaming services where they pay fifteen dollars for a whole month of enjoying endless numbers of things and so I think there's going to be those habits to break through, but I think that's up to presenters to really find creative ways to tell the story again through their advertising to get people back. But the other part of that is, is that, you know, and I, as I said, I hope that it does come back and I hope it comes back full force. I think we're ready for it. Um, I don't know how fast that's going to happen. I know for this year, for 2021, the summer concert series of the Community Arts Pro Program is again going to be online. It's going to be a virtual series. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to coming back in 2022 with um, with On Ground again. And, um, you know, Ken Paplowski is going to be our opening, oh, our opening concert for that. Yeah, mm -hmm. Ken is wonderful. He was just here in South Florida. Yes, he was. Up north a bit at Broward Center, I believe, doing mm -hmm. something. So. He's a great rocket tour as well. Great, yeah. Great stories. Yeah. Chico Panero will be with us and, uh, you know, a couple of others. So I'm looking forward to being – I miss the people. I miss the experience of being on ground. There's something that you mm -hmm. can't – you yeah. can't match that you online match in any way. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And just, and just seeing each other, just right. And get, exactly. have that moment of personal contact. Well, and, ex and experiencing that energy mm -hmm. in the room. It's like if you're a performer playing in front of a microphone is so totally different than playing in front of an audience. There's that energy from the audience that you get nowhere else. No question. And if you're a listener, oh my gosh. There's nothing like being live and hearing the music live, sure. especially big band. It's such a powerful thing. You're hearing it right in front of your face. And, uh, you know, my, Michael, I, I know you're, he's familiar with tons of great music options because I get all these links from you and websites <laughs> and streaming. But also, uh, we went, uh, thanks for the invite. We went together to Hampton House recently. They mm. launched the first of a series of musical events. And it was pretty impressive. Uh, people were socially distanced. They served dinner around the pool and up above. There's a deck, you know, but they had uh, uh, Eric Bonet was the first act. I don't know who's coming up later. Actually, that, actually, Chaka Khan will be here May 8th. Chaka Khan, all right. Mm. So, yeah, and uh, that's that's an amazing thing. And a lot of dignitaries showed up, like uh, our school board superintendent was there and, um, you know, other people, recognizable figures and the board of Hampton House, that one, what's right. the lady who runs that new, that place? They're, Enid. I, yeah, as everyone Enid. knows, that hotel was a legendary place that's being, that has since been restored, legendary from days of Jim Crow and when you... Uh, one night in Miami, the play One Night in Miami, right. and now a movie. Um, but they're beautifully resurrecting that the the beauty and history of that place with some with some music that's happening there, right? Coming up, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, how, it's tremendous. How difficult is it to get acts now to get performers? Because even for us, that we try to get speakers for our lectures, and especially live lectures, you're you're asking people, will you come out? Will you stand in front of an audience? Will you? You know, and and that is difficult. So how difficult is that finding musicians and performers to do this? <laughs> Not difficult. <laughs> I I think they're ready. They after a, a year or two of not performing, there's the bank account to think about for one right. thing. So they're ready to get back out there and 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 begin performing. I don't think there's and and I think that will become more and more the case now that we've got the vaccines up and going and people are being vaccinated and. Things seem to be a little bit uh, going in that direction, but and and as I said, I hope it's a I hope it's a quick and fast comeback, and the doors open and people come in. And but um, I I think it's I going back know. in that direction slowly. We we have a uh, not to bring dentistry back into this, but we have a big dental meeting coming up, uh, Florida Dental Association, where people are once again going to be at the Gaylord Palm Hotel. I don't know how big of an attendance or how comfortable 
it, or how different it's going to be. It may not be. Who knows? So we're things are starting to go in that direction, I believe. Mm-hmm. I hear that they've gotten really good attendance numbers so. right yeah, now. So, mm-hmm. and and we have our Havana nights coming up in December. So the diplomat at the uh, Hollywood Beach Marriott. Hollywood Beach Marriott. Yeah. And the only pressure on me is I'm the DJ for that. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, well, that's you know. what happens when you know you your love of music and yeah. the fact that you got stuck and, with me. Right. That's why and you have to do this. That's how dentistry intersects with music. That's, <laughs> that's a bridge. We'll see. Right? There we go. Yeah. 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 Wow. But you know, that's great. I just got to make sure my PA equipment, which has been in storage for a couple of years, sure. make sure it works, and that I have enough. Uh, uh, Cuban big band music from the fifties. I got, I got, I still got to collect more music to. Yeah, but, that's yeah. we're doing a theme, so <laughs> we're looking at crinoline skirts and. Mm. Oh nice! Oh, yeah. oh very that's nice! Wonderful. I'm going to so be there with my guayabera oh, cigars nice. and, my and your hardies. cigar. Yeah, good. <laughs> well, I, I have a question for the both of you. Oh. What is your go-to piece when you come back to jazz again? When you sit down to play, is there a piece that you start with, or is there is there a piece that comes to mind? Hmm. Okay. Well, it wouldn't be playing for me anymore because I'm, I'm more of a listener these days. Okay. Um, you know, one of the things, uh, I think, I don't know if there's really a go-to piece, uh, as such. I think one of the interesting things is that there's so much, um, really interesting new music and new musicians. Okay. And, and that's one of the issues to think about. Like, for instance, you're talking about like the return of, of live music. Um, this past weekend, um, on Sunday afternoon, up at the, I think it's the Martha Mary the Corpus Christi Church. Mm. Um, they had uh, Emmett Cohen, who's a great pianist, mm-hmm. uh, was playing mm-hmm. with uh, Russell Holland and uh, Kyle Poole, and that was great. And and it was very interesting, even though it was outdoors and uh, and it was a. I think that they didn't they say Sunday. I think was the hottest day in April in Miami history or mm-hmm. something like that. It was and it was outdoors with no with no trees. People, it was packed and mm-hmm. everyone was there. They were drinking their water and all. So I guess you know one of the issues is when you're talking about go to peace. For me, there's just so much new, great music and, and, and new musicians. I mean, you see them here. You know, part of that has to do with like, you know, your, like your programs, you know, Mark, the community arts program, um, which is a, a great situation for training kids. But we've got that in, in, in South Florida. We've also got Jim Gazier's program at, mm-hmm. at the New World. Um, we've got Chris Dorsey's program up at uh, Dillard, which is great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something that I hope that the, the listeners would love to realize is that um, between just those three programs, I mean, can we even estimate how many times have, you know, your various organizations actually performed like at the essentially Ellington Festival up in New York at mm-hmm. Jazz at Lincoln Center? I mean, there's, you know, people don't think of us as being a hotbed of big band jazz, but we've got three programs that have been up there dozen times more. I mean, I, oh yeah. I, Chris Dorsey has been, I think, been up there every year for, I don't exactly. know how long. Yeah. And, and Jim, of course, New World, they've yeah great program. And both great. of those programs have taken top prize. Absolutely, and and so the thing is, you know, between we have all of that, and, and it means that there's all these great new, uh, you know, young jazz musicians who are taking thoughts well beyond my capacity to understand. I mean, they're you know they're they're speaking a language that I couldn't even approximate. Um, so that's what's great about that. I mean. You know, if we go back to traditional things, I mean, I, I think we all still go back and listen to probably Coltrane a lot, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe Roland Kirk and, right. you know, and Oscar, of right. course. I have know. like a grand piano in my living room. So I don't know, once a day, it seems like I, I sit there for 20 minutes just playing whatever favorites. But I think one of the books that stands out and sits there more often than not, what is I have a book of Pat Metheny songs, mm. which one of my favorite songs I keep coming back to is James. And if you just, if you never heard it, just listen to it. But he has so many great, great works. But I, I love playing from this book, and I got my Beatle book over here, and my, you know, 
Earth, Wind, and Fire book over here, but I keep coming back to Pat Metheny. And just a small digression, I remember one night, you know, in music, you sometimes have good times and hard times, and sometimes you make a mistake, sometimes you don't. We, my, uh, Dr. Reagan and myself, we went out to a, or Michael, went out to a jazz club where they let people sit in once in a while. And this was one of my, possibly a miscalculation, who knows, but I got up and sat in on piano a couple tunes, and they said, what would you like to play? And I said, how about Night in Tunisia? Because it's one of my favorite songs. <laughs> and it does, I said, like... I said, does anyone know Night in Tunisia on the stage? And the, the bass player said to me, you know what? Coincidentally, I'm with Dizzy Gillespie's band and we're playing a concert tomorrow night. But yeah, I know that one. And I, I said, okay, that was a mistake. That's <laughs> <laughs> like a gulp. <laughs> that was a technical error. And so then I'm forced. But you did it, right? Yeah, I'm forced okay. to play this tune and, and, and make it seem halfway competent with a guy who's in Dizzy Gillespie's band who sure. made the song famous, you know. And so uh, let's think of the fortunate thing. This is before we had phones, which had video where people could have been videoing that performance. That's right. That would have been, been a problem. There's yeah. perfect. Yeah, that been and they posted on YouTube and I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> For, forever. Yeah. But we had some great times uh, at Charlie's. I think that was Charlie's, Charlie's on K Street. Yeah. Oh, we did. Mm. You know, one of the things you you, know, you mentioned, that I'm, I'm, here's what I want to think about. You know, obviously the pandemic has been had a destructive you know, amazing effect on all of our lives. And I don't know whether we ever, whatever the future looks like. I have no idea what the new normal looks like. I don't know. I don't know whether I'm ever going to feel comfortable going out without a mask on again. Mm -hmm. It could be just a learned behavior or something. But I also wonder, okay, I mean, you know, one of the things we talked before was we're seeing, you know, the, the, the dissolution, if you will, of so many of these live music venues, specifically in New York. I think it's the jazz standard is closed, I believe. Um, uh, Blues Alley in, in DC has. Um, and I mean, even some of the places like the Met are having a hard time making payroll. That's I mean, right. Who would have ever think thought that 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 would be the case? Mm -hmm. And 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 the, not even mention that the other collateral things, the ballets, Broadway, 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 all those musicians who are in the pit orchestras. And That's right. You know? Now, do you yeah. think? I mean, I I was trying to say, you know, the same way like, like with dentistry. Okay, I mean, I try to look at the situation and say, okay. How has the pandemic, what positive things, and I do have some positive things, how it's handled dental medicine, but you don't want to hear that now. But how is it, you know, how will it possibly impacted live music performance? And the fact is, you know, for instance, I do spend quite a bit more time with some very interesting live streams from people's homes and things such as that, where I get a chance to hear people. And I've actually talked with some of those people about the fact that, you know, that by them doing live streams from, from their home, they're actually... Um, attracting music or uh, listeners to their music that they wouldn't have had otherwise internationally, and and like one mm -hmm. of the things I, mm -hmm. I said I sent you yesterday, um, I did early on last year in June and July I did interviews with some of the musicians from John Chamorro's band in in, in in Barcelona, and we did them they were in Barcelona and I did the interview from here with them and we did an hour hour and a half and and played some of the music that they do on uh, that they've got video recordings and it worked out great. Um, but again, like everybody else, they had no place to perform at this point because, as you might imagine, Spain was entirely shut down, shut mm -hmm. down much tighter mm -hmm. than we were. But, you know, uh, one of the things that they've said is that that um, they've actually increased their international, um, I guess it would be viewership, I guess it would be listenership, right? Uh, that more people from maybe even the Far East now are listening to them because there are people at home who can access them through the web. And so I'm wondering whether, you know, is there going to be a positive thing for the mere fact, like you're saying, the fact that, that CAP was doing live streams, okay? The fact that Miami Jazz Co-op is doing live streams every Monday night. Emmett Cohen is. Champion Fulton is. Um, Spike Wilner is from Smalls and from um, uh, 
can't think of the name. It starts with M. Anyway, I'll think of the, 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 the other play, the pianist player. Who, who puts on the live stream with Emmett Cohn and that group? Well, it's interesting, but he started that literally the, the like the week after we, we closed down last year, which was what, like mm-hmm. March 13th or whatever. And the initial thing they did was I, they were like doing it with, you know, cell phones and it was mm-hmm. very and was very mm-hmm. archaic if you from his apartment yeah <laughs> no it was it's from, from his apartment, his apartment. Yeah. it's an apartment exactly up, on, right. up on amsterdam yep. avenue in mm-hmm. in in harlem and so they've turned it into the monday night harlem rent party which is wonderful and now they've gotten people um i've actually donated money to, to support them in this so they've actually got state-of-the-art audio equipment and, and video equipment in there and they bring every week there is you know it's musicians of his age, and these are people young that people. I'd never heard yeah. of who are just phenomenal. Some of the new vocalists. There's mm-hmm. a, a new young lady who, whose name is, I think she goes under the name of Samara Joy, and it's Samara Joy McClendon, who's just absolutely spectacular. She's 22. She sounds like mm-hmm. Sarah Vaughn, mm-hmm. and um, she won the uh, – Sarah, or Shakespeare won the Sarah Vaughan Jazz Competition. Is that right, man? She's on my list. She's absolutely <laughs> She's on my list. She's phenomenal. She really and, is. But there's all of these. I mean, it's one after another. And, and, and for me, that's great. And, you know, and emailing back and forth with Emmett, he said, you know, it's actually increased some of his abilities to actually generate interest in his new recording. Because more people are getting a chance to hear it than they would if we were to go to, you know, um, a jazz club, which is a rarefied atmosphere for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 Michael, Doctor Reagan, I you said it <laughs> Michael, right. <please. laughs> you said it. You said it right. It's it, the this pandemic has had a destructive, amazing effect, and 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 therein it is is that I think it's opened up a lot of people to other ways of being creative. Right. It's forced us to think outside the box, and it's exposed a lot of people to a totally new audience worldwide. I think you're absolutely right. And, um, I mean, it's given me a chance mm-hmm. to take, well, because obviously for the first several months, I didn't really have a whole lot else on my schedule. So I might as well seek out some of this other interesting music. And I was listening to music that I would never have sought out otherwise. And that was good. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it stayed, you know, um, in the same way that, you know, more healthy eating habits have stayed, mm-hmm. and, which hopefully will be a long term effect. I don't know about mm-hmm. those healthy eating habits. Oh. I was going to say, I don't know about those either. But, <laughs> well, you know, I've seen some I, of the stuff you've been eating on Facebook, Mark. You mean you're not baking sourdough bread like everybody else? Uh, oh, no. Okay. <laughs> I got into no. making pizza. Well, you only have oh, yes. So it's pizza, like yes. Pizza and pasta, That's and evil. I'm telling you, it's That's terrible. Yoli, you, you so, you're, you're, you've, res- you've been responsible for some great recipes that I've tried. I mean, you, that's one of the, <laughs> the blessings of uh, going what we've gone through. We, all becoming better chefs and cooks mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot mm-hmm. of sharing. Yeah. A lot of mm-hmm. social sharing. Media mm-hmm. sharing so. mm-hmm. um, but, um, but gentlemen, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm just thrilled. You made my job very easy today because I didn't have to do a lot of talking. And, and, um, but besides that, I would have not been able to contribute to this conversation <laughs> as well as all of you did. And for me, I'm a listener uh, of music. I get lost in it. I love all kinds of music, maybe not the new popular stuff, um, you know, maybe it's age, but but listening to classical music, listening to jazz works, even the most unusual jazz works, I find something in them. I find that they transport me somehow. And for me, that's the art. For me, it's the art of listening to this mm-hmm. and what I get out of it. And I love it. And um, so having all of you here today and listening to you was today, it was the highlight of my year right now. Okay. <laughs> That's nice. It was, <laughs> it's just wonderful. So I well, thank you guys for being here. I think that, you know, we could probably talk for, for hours more. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much for being here. 
I will say, Dr. Mufson, every time I hear Earth, Wind, and Fire, I think of you. <laughs> uh, I try to sing it on the mm-hmm. weekends, but it doesn't ever come out right. But I remember being at your place once, and you played it. You know, you said, oh, I want you to hear Earth, Wind, and Fire, and you put it on, and, mm-hmm. and it was just a treat. So uh, thank you for that. And Well, we're happy to, that you've had us here. We're happy to be here right. and share. It's been a delight. That's right, yeah. Great Ain't that the tooth. Ain't that the tooth, right? <laughs> well, and, you know, three, you know, not necessarily, you know, I wouldn't say we were disparate people, but it would, you know, putting you and myself together, which would be reasonable, mm-hmm. and then putting with Mark Hart, who is that's famous amazing. in the music yeah. industry. Okay, that, <laughs> no, one would have thought that that would have been that's, like... That's hyperbole. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's true. I mean, you would have thought, well, how does that work out? Or, you know, they I, I did get that question asked three times. Well, I mean, I, I, if you remember when you called me to be here, I even asked that question. So she texted me and said, Yolanda, was this text meant for me? Yeah. Well, I think it was a great way to balance this out because you're part of the triangle that's, you know, community music and, uh, TMI experience and all these other great things. Uh, so I was you know, happy to meet you and share this with you as well. And likewise. And, I, was, it, you know, and I miss your program. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and, and obviously, you know, I, I will again go back and watch it. Uh, virtually, Mark, because I've, I've really been, you know, when I first discovered the program, when I first moved down here, which would have been, what, 2003, 2004, I remember someone told me about this. And I remember I just, you know, meandered over to um, by the Biltmore and walked in and said, first of all, what a great crowd. I mean, really hip crowd. Okay. Um, I always thought that, you know, the, the CAP program, you have most amazing scheduling because it's not just interesting jazz performers okay but then you, you know that that could be one week and the following week is a string quartet and the following week after that is somebody playing mandolin or something like that you know something great so it's a very eclectic group which i love um and i actually love the church because i think first of all as being a trouble nice. player churches have the best acoustics mm. of all time if you mm. no matter how bad you sound in the morning if you're playing in a church you sound really mm. good okay it's mm. Uh, just, That's a good point. Yes. Oh, it is true. Because you know? I've heard Seraphic Fire in yes. Church by the Sea. That right. was amazing. And it's yes. amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I'm yeah, good yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. But and so I can't wait for it to come back live. I would tell everybody who's listening to this, that is something you need to support. Actually, support all live music and support any music. Well, well, thank you. Here's to being back together on ground again. Yeah. Yes. Amen to that. So, well, I'm going to close this up today. So thank you for listening to Ain't That the Tooth? Ain't That the Tooth is produced by the SFDDA and directed and edited by Victoria Marrero. Our theme music was written and performed by our very own Dr. Richard Muffson. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Bank of America Practice Solutions, CareStream Dental, Dental Broker of Florida, and the Florida Dental Association and Florida Dental Association Services for making this production possible. High performance meets ergonomic design for uncompromised scanning in CareStream Dental's newest interaural scanner, the CS3700. The new design of the scanner centers around doctors' needs and preferences with customer-centric workflows. Smart shade matching, high-speed scanning and processing, and touchscreen capabilities. Visit carestreamdental.com forward slash CS3700 for more information.